Good morning. What a joy to be with you. So good to sing praises to the Lord. And it's so wonderful for my soul to hear your voices praising the Lord. And thank you. Psalm 119 says... Psalm 119, verse 92. Psalm 119, verse 92. The psalmist says, If your Torah, if your instruction, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. We need God's Word. We need His instruction to preserve us. And as we hold His Word as our delight... He is faithful to keep us secure. So please open your Bibles to Philippians. The letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. For those who are visiting, be welcome. And we have been walking through this beautiful letter. Philippians chapter 2. If you can please stand, let's read verses 19 through 24. Here's the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that that I too may be cheered, made glad by news of you. For I have no one like him will be authentically concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we beg your help. We are beggars. Lord, we need you to feed us. We need you to help us. We need your Holy Spirit to enable us. That's something that no man can do. And that is to make these words alive in our hearts. So we cry out for your Holy Spirit. Help us to delight in your word. Lord, we thank you for... We have a place to meet, Lord. We, we give you thanks. Lord, we also pray for those members who are not feeling well, those who are sick. We pray they will be touching their bodies, their health. We pray for those who are traveling or those who will be traveling, we ask you that you'd help us this week to show gratitude as Thanksgiving approaches. Help us to show that our hearts have been transformed by the gospel and we are a grateful people. We deserve hell, and yet you have given us Christ. There is nothing, absolutely nothing to complain and murmur, and grumble. So thank you, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help me to be faithful. Help the congregation to be faithful. Both of us have responsibilities here, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stop imitating me. If you have kids... Around, you have heard that. Daddy, she's imitating me. We hear that over and over again. Why? Because that's what kids do. They imitate one another. So oftentimes we hear that complaint at home. Stop imitating me. And 
we tell them, hey, as long as they're imitating something good, <laughs> let them imitate you. There's absolutely no problem with that. God made us as imitators. We mimic by nature. From very early age, we learn how to speak, our speech. We learn from our parents, from those who are around us. I was thinking about this this morning because it's fascinating how the kids, they, at least in our home, they spend most of the time with mom. So even when we were in Brazil, Bella, Amy, English was just fluent, was their language. Why? From the time with mom. So people say, you've got to teach them Portuguese. It's so hard because they learn from those where they spend most of the time with. And it's mom, so that's their nature language. It's from getting from mom. And that's how we are. We are always getting, mimicking from those who are around us. Look at how your children play and act. The girls, when they're feeding their dolls, they sound just like mom. Boys, they just want to be like dad. It's those who they're imitating. When a scholar says, but children only begin what we continue to do as adults. We imitate. We reflect. Sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. All of us, even adults, reflect what we are around. We reflect things in our culture, in our society. How about TV commercials? It's all about trying to get you to look at that and say, I want to be like that. So if you use that type of deodorant, you're going to be just like that guy. The type of underwear. It's amazing. As if you, and that's because they know that you will be striving to imitate someone who you admire, someone who you're looking up to. I think myself... There is nothing original in me, in standing here dressing like that. I'm imitating the men who I respect and admire. The preachers, the pastors that I admire, they don't stand behind a pulpit with a tight t-shirt showing their tattoos, tight jeans. No, they dress for the occasion, the seriousness of this, what we are doing right now. We are made by God to imitate, to reflect Him, to resemble Him. We are imitators by nature. Therefore, the question is not when you will imitate, but who you are imitating and who you will imitate. Because of the fall, because of sin, our hearts became prone to imitate what? Sinful examples. The champions of imitating sinful examples. Because our hearts are prone to sinful things. That's why parents are always so careful with the children's friends. Right? We are concerned whom they are spending time with. Why? Because we know that they will mimic their friends. I remember saying a bad word at home. And I had no idea what that bad word was. But I was imitating an older friend that I had. So my mom said, do you know what you're saying? I'm like, no. Where did you learn that? Oh, from so and so. <laughs> because you're mimicking, imitating but the gospel of Christ empower us to imitate what is good. So in 3 John, in 3 John chapter, uh, there is no chapter there, but verse 11. John says, Beloved, and you've got to see the context. He's contrasting two Christians. He says, do not imitate evil, 
That's Diotrephes. But imitate good. And then he goes on to talk about Demetrius. And if you read the New Testament, you see a great emphasis on paying attention to other people. Following the example of other men and women. There is a great emphasis on looking to others. Because character is not only taught, but it's also uh, caught. Like catch. And we catch a lot with our eyes and our ears by watching others. So Paul knows about the power of examples. That's why frequently Paul says, imitate me, follow me, or you became an example, he says to churches. Paul knows that we need faithful replicas of the Lord Jesus. And notice they say faithful, not perfect. Faithful replicas of the Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what we have now in Philippians chapter 2. And you can see in your Bibles, please look in your Bibles from verse 19 through verse 30. And most English Bibles have a subtitle there. And you have two names. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Or Epaphroditus. And those are the two examples that Paul now is going to be setting before their eyes. It's interesting, at first glance, when you look at chapter 2, starting verse 19, it seems something very profane, some very mundane, not important. Here's Paul talking about Timothy. Yes, I know a little bit about Timothy, Epaphroditus. I have no idea who this guy is. And now Paul is talking about his travel log, his, his, his traveling uh, plans for the future. And usually Paul saves that to do, towards the end of the letter. So, for example, looking in Ephesians, just turn one page backwards and you're going to see in Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 21. So that also you may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. You see, this travel log is towards the end of Ephesians. And if you go to Colossians, that's the next letter. You can see also in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 17, you have Paul's travel log. He's talking about his trips. And people who are he's sending to the other churches. So it seems like it's some misplaced information here. Why is Paul placing this information about who he's sending and why he's sending right here? Usually he saves that towards the end of the letter. And that has caused some scholars to say, Do you see, the letter is over here. So now the rest is just some other letter that Paul wrote and people are just attaching the two letters together. And that's to miss completely the point of what Paul is doing here. That's not a, a random or a misplaced missionary report. So many people look at these verses and they say, Oh, there is no deep teaching, no sound doctrine. Where are the deep teachings of the Christian faith in this text here? But if you have eyes to see, you will behold a beautiful treasure here. I was thinking about those people who, who know about antiques. And sometimes you see something and you say, that's just a nasty, old, worthless piece of furniture. And somebody who knows about antiques might look at that and say, Ching, ching. Thousands of dollars here. And the same right here is this text. To the, on the surface, it might seem like there is nothing very important, nothing deep, nothing that will attack my soul. But the more I study, the more I realize that I cannot even go through this 
verses in one sermon. I cannot cover Timothy with one sermon. We are going to have two sermons for Timothy. So Paul, what he's doing here, he's placing this travel log, this information about his trips, about who he's sending, that usually he places towards the end. But he's placing right here because it matches, it fits with what he's talking about. So he's saying, he has been talking about humility, he's talking about unity in the church, he's talking about the mindset of Christ, he's talking about not looking at your own interests, but the interests of others. And what does he do? Now he gives two palpable examples of what it is to have the mind of Christ. What it is to seek the interests of others. And now, there are two men that they know very well. Timothy and Epaphroditus. One scholar says, While these verses do convey news of Paul's future plans and hopes in a way similar to the endings of the other letters, this is only one of the purposes these verses serve. More importantly, they serve to command Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippians. This practice is also common in Paul's letters. But here, these commendations serve a larger purpose. They point out to the Philippians concrete examples of the type of life that Paul has commanded throughout chapter 1, verse 27, until chapter 2, verse 18. Examples of the practice of attending to the concerns of others above one's own concerns. In this passage, Paul further defines this practice as attending to the things of Jesus Christ. In witnessing to the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus in the way he does, Paul presents both of them as manifestations of the specific command to display the practical reasoning found in Christ Jesus. Thus, Paul's commendation of Timothy and Epaphroditus finds its basis in the story of Christ narrated in chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. So the reason why he places what he usually places towards the end of other letters right here in Philippians is because he's showing them a clear example of what he's asking. The Christian life, that's all about serving others and not being served with two men that they know very well. So here's the structure of the text, and you can see in your Bibles. First, verses 19 through 24, Paul tells them why he's sending Timothy, but not right away. So he's telling them why he's sending Timothy, but not right away. And then in verses 25 through 30, Paul explains why he's sending Epaphroditus right away. But you can see the reasoning of Paul here. And then the verses where we are right now, I hope you can see that also. We can divide, we can see a chiasm here as Paul is structuring. And the line A, hope of sending Timothy soon, that's verse 19. Then Paul talks about Timothy's uniqueness. Verse 20. And then in the center there, you can see in the center, verse 21, he talks about others only seeking their own interests. And then he goes back to Timothy's provenness, his character, and then he finishes talking about once again about his hope in sending Timothy and his hope in coming to them. So you can see how Paul, he has an inclusion, how he begins and similarly the next level talk about Timothy, and in the center is the type of character that he's completely repudiating in the church. The life that seeks his own interests, that has nothing to do with a slave of Christ. So today we start meeting Timothy, and we see that Timothy, he is a replica of Jesus Christ. He's an example of Jesus Christ. He has the mindset of Christ. And what is beautiful about these two men is that they are not apostles. They are not miracle workers. They are ordinary men just like you and me. So there is no excuse. What the Lord requires 
in the page of the Scriptures is not for superheroes. It's for men and women just like you and me. And that's what Paul is showing the Philippians. So for today, the outline is going to be, that's the, the only thing I could get as I was studying through this passage, is who Paul is sending, and that's Timothy, then why he's sending Timothy, and then when he's sending Timothy. I know it's nothing deep, but that's what I got from these verses here. Who, why, and when. So let's move on to the who. Who Paul is sending, and that's Timothy. So look at verse 19, the first part of verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. But wait, wait, and look at the preceding verses. Look at verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. What is Paul talking about here? He's paying his life as a sacrifice. He could die at any moment. He might be beheaded at any moment. He's suffering. He's in prison. People are tormenting him by saying bad things about Paul. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And yeah, you come to verse 19 and you see Paul's mind. What? Oh, but I'm thinking about you guys. I care about you. Even though I'm suffering, even though I'm in prison, I'm still thinking about you. And I'm going to be sending Timothy to you soon. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful picture of one who is not looking to his own interests. And so many of us, when we are going through suffering, pain, we become just like an armadillo and we crawl ourselves and we are just looking to ourselves and me and me and me and me and you have no concern for other people. And we see here, just like Luke was saying, introducing the hymn, even though he's suffering, even though he's in pain, yet he's thinking about others. And look how he says, I hope. Where? In the Lord Jesus. You see, once you learn about union with Christ, once you, you understand, once your eyes are open to union with Christ, you see that everywhere in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Why? He's no longer in Adam. He's in Christ. Christ is his Lord. He lives in Christ. He hopes in Christ. All his plans, expectations, hopes, ambitions, in good and hard times, are in the Lord Meaning, under the Lordship and mastery of Christ. It's amazing. He doesn't say, I hope if Caesar allows me. No, I hope in the Lord. He doesn't even mention Caesar or any governor here. Because he knows that Lord Jesus is in charge of his plans. So Paul is saying, here's what I'm hoping to do, brothers and sisters. I'm hoping to send Timothy... As soon as possible. For the glory of Christ, my plan, my ambition is to send Timothy to you. But, I have a Lord over me. I have a King over me. And if my King and my Lord's plans are different from my plans, then I will humbly submit and rejoice. That's what Paul is saying here. Dennis Johnson, he writes, It's proper to preface our plans with Lord willing. But it's one thing to say the right words and another to have our hearts molded by the reality behind the words. What we see in Paul is a deep consciousness of Christ's sovereignty and an eager submission to Christ's control. 
The apostle is completely aware of the fact that his whole life and every circumstance in his life, things within his control and those outside his control, belong to Jesus. Jesus directs everything in Paul's current and future experience for God's glory and for his people's well-being. How we need to confess with our lips the Lord willing, the Lord willing, but also believe in our hearts. Because I know that I know people who say, Oh Lord willing, God willing. And when God's not willing, and God's plans crash with his own, own plans, they get all bitter and angry. No, we need both. Confess, Lord willing, and believe in our hearts. If the Lord wills, we will do that. Now, let us have the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus be real and authentic in the practical details of our lives. Especially when they do not go the way we want. When our plans crash with God's plans and our plans and our desires do not match with God's plans and God's desires, what do you do? Get bitter, murmur, grumble, complain, doubt His goodness? Or you fall on your knees and say, Thank you, Lord. That's your way and not my way. Your plans are better than my plans. And that goes in all areas of our lives. Losing a job that you believe you had there for all eternity. Losing a spouse. Losing a child. Can we say the Lord willing and when the Lord's will is different from my will, I still... Thank Him and rejoicing Him. That's what Paul is doing here. And let me tell you, this type of submission, this type of submission to the Lordship of Jesus never made Paul passive, lethargic, or far from it. He was a dynamo of motivation, always brimming with ideas for disseminating the good news about Christ. But at the same time, Paul kept a light grip on his own agenda. So, believing the sovereignty of the Lord, the Lord willing, never erases our responsibility, our eagerness to do good and accomplish things that we have to accomplish. Okay, so this is not a type of vocabulary for you to excuse lack of commitment and lack of effort. Somebody needs help. And you say, oh, the Lord willing. And you make no effort. Then you cannot say, oh, the Lord didn't will that. Right? The Lord willing. And I'm striving. So by stating his hopes and expectations in this manner, Paul shows to the Philippians what a slave of Christ looks like. Here's a, a replica of a slave of Christ. I'm putting the Lordship of Jesus... His plans, His wills, above my own. That's what Paul is doing here also, teaching them. So we see, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send, that's a key word, it's going to keep reappearing, send Timothy, to send him, send Epaphroditus, showing there how they're available to go. But he talks about Timothy. And if you remember, probably not, but a long time ago in Chapter 1, verse 1, I went through Timothy, and I talked a little bit about Timothy. That was a long time ago. So, Timotheos, his name, that means one who honors God or fears God or honored by God. And he was one of Paul's closest co-workers. I would say the closest co-worker that Paul had. He was so reliable. Paul trusts him so much, loves him so much that Timothy becomes Paul's hands, Paul's feet, Paul's mouth, Paul's mind. Paul loved him. They love each other. So here is the reason now. So he's going to give the reason why he's sending Timothy. Look at that. 
verse 19b. That's the second part of verse 19. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. Look at this. So that it's a purpose, express purpose. So that, and the purpose is twofold. I also, or I too, what does he mean? There's a mutuality here. So the purpose for Paul sending Timothy is that he's hoping to encourage, to cheer them up. And at the same time, when Timothy returns, that Paul will be cheered up and will be made glad with news. So there is a, a, a mutual encouragement that we see here. I think I have right here. Yes. Uh, the ESV has cheered by news or made glad. It's a very fascinating word. You have the prefix il. Euangelion, the good news. Il gain, uh, good birth. And here you have il and suhe, the uh, spirit or soul. And the idea is to be glad, to have encouragement to, with implication of being released from anxiety. Look at that. Paul's union with Christ leads to his union with the church, so much so that his encouragement is connected to the news that he will receive about the Philippians. That's amazing. The great and mighty Apostle Paul, who turned the world upside down, yet he's encouraged by what? News from a local church in Macedonia, Philippi. His union with Christ leads to his union with the church in a way that he is... You, you can just, Paul talks about his, his heart being anxious about churches. And it's, as, the picture here is that his heart is all tight as if with ropes... And when Timothy brings the good news that now the Philippians are doing well, they fought, they conquered all the disunity, the division. Paul says that those good news will just be like a knife cutting all that rope and unleashing his heart. So he will be glad, he will rejoice. And we often see people struggling, downcast. And instead of coming to church to have their hearts cheered up, made glad with the people of God, they remain alone, drowning their own self-centered struggle. If you want the Lord to cheer up your heart, if you want the Lord to make your heart glad, be with God's people. That's what Paul is saying here. I cannot be with you, but when I get a letter that will be the same as being with you, my heart will be made glad. So Paul says, so that I too may be cheered by news, by information about you. So Paul, what is Paul saying here? Think about that. Why would Paul be cheered up by news about the Philippians? Yes, he holds them in his heart. He have heard, he has heard from Epaphroditus that there is division. That some of the members are struggling with one another. That there is selfishness in the church. His heart is in pain. Because they are in a partnership in the gospel. And there can be no division in a partnership. So Paul says, When I hear news from you, when Timothy, because Timothy is going, and when he returns to me, I'm sure he's going to bring good news that you guys are obedient to the Lord, that you were faithful to my commands, that you fought, that you conquered the disunity, that there is shalom, there is peace reigning among the members, and that will make me glad. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is certain that his letter and his labor will not be in vain. They will obey him in the Lord. And that's the mark of a healthy church. A healthy church is a church that strives to obey the Lord no matter how painful it is. And that's the Philippians here. 
So he says why he's sending Timothy, but now he's going to say why Timothy. So he says why he's sending Timothy, and now he's going to explain why Timothy. And you can see that by the four. Four. And it's he's explaining, and he explains by giving outstanding commendations about Timothy. In the Greek text, it's interesting because in the Greek, actually the text begins with a very emphatic non, no one. It would not make sense in English. That would be weird. But in Greek, you could do that. You could place a word in the beginning of a sentence to bring emphasis. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's saying, no one, absolutely no one, I have like Timothy. Like him, that's how the ESV translates. If you have an NASB, it has no one else of kindred spirit. If you have a King James, no one like-minded. Once again, that's a hapax legomena. It's one word that we don't see anywhere else in the New Testament. And once again, it's a compounded word. You have isos. Equivalent, equal, and then suhe, that's so. The idea behind this, like him, is two souls that are equally motivated by the same thing. We do not have an English word that's, uh, that captures this meaning here. I think a, a good translation would be sharing the same love, sharing the same affections, sharing the same passions. That's what Timothy and Paul are like. The Latin word for this is unanimous, unanimous, one mind. That's the idea behind this word here. So Paul says, for I have no one like him who will be, look at that, authentically concerned for your welfare. Here's how Timothy has the same spirit, has the same passion, has the same love as Paul. They both share the same concern, the same love for the local church and the church in Philippi in particular. One scholar says, although the language Paul uses to describe him, Timothy, is not as precise as we might like, in this context it would seem that Paul is saying that Timothy can be expected like no other to reflect the concerns, love and attention of Paul. In addition to Timothy's intimate connection with the concerns, love, and passions of Paul, he's also deeply concerned for the Philippians and their circumstances. He manifests both a genuine, heartfelt love as well as an active concern for them. That's very important. When Paul says, I have none like him, one who shares my soul. He's not saying that Timothy likes everything that Paul likes. It's not like Paul likes lamb, therefore Timothy must like lamb. Timothy likes sunshine because Paul likes sunshine. That's not what he's saying. It's not personalities. It's a passion for the same goal. It's a love for the same object, and that's the church. Actually, Timothy and Paul are very different. When you study both characters, you see that they are very different. Timothy was very timid. Paul was just like a lion on roids. And yet, they share the same soul. Paul says that Timothy has a legitimate, authentic concern and care for the Philippians. A very interesting word where we have genuine. The word in Greek was used for a legitimate son, one born legally into a family. Meaning it's not illegitimate, it's not fake. The affection that he has for you guys is authentic. And why is it authentic? Paul is going to tell because he is his son. They share the same spiritual connection and family here. He has a true concern, a legitimate concern. The ESV says concern. If you have the King James, it says care. 
and carries strong connotation. It can be used positively and negatively. Negatively, this word concern carries the idea of sinful anxiety, lack of trust in the Lord's sovereignty. And that's in Matthew 6 when Jesus says what? Do not be anxious for anything. Do not be concerned about what you are going to eat or about what you are going to drink. Where? But that's important. This word can be used negatively as if it's a burden, an unnecessary burden because you are not trusting in the Lord. And at the same time, this word can be used positively as a healthy burden of caring for someone. And that's all we see right here. Paul and Timothy, they have a deep, lasting and impactful friendship because they both share a deep and heavy concern for God's people. And those are the best friends you can have. People who will share the same love for God's people. When you meet, when you get to know someone like Timothy, a man or a woman like Timothy, you can see that he cares about you. There is no superficiality. There is no hypocrisy. He's not talking to you to get something out of you. He listens to you. She listens to you. This type of people, they're never offended when they don't receive a phone call or they don't receive a, or they don't get what they were expecting to get. Do you know why? Because they're too busy being concerned with other people. They're not offended because other people are not looking for them. They're too busy looking for other people. That's the Timothys in church. So Paul says, if I have here, for I have none like him. None like him. And now he contrasts verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And the picture here is of Paul. We don't know where he is. Most Bibles that you have, you tell you that Paul is in Rome, but we don't know if he's in Rome. We don't know if he's in Ephesus. We don't know if he's in Caesarea, Philippi. We don't know where he is. But the, the, what we have here is as if Paul is looking for someone around him to send to Philippi, and he cannot find anyone willing to go. F.F. Bruce, he says, Of all those who were available to Paul as messengers, none was so free from self-centeredness as Timothy. And we ought to picture, we need to make this in our minds. Paul, he's in prison. We don't know where, but he's bringing some different men to the prison and telling them, Hey, I have something for you. I need you to go to Philippi and help that church. I need you to carry this letter. I need you to go there and talk to them about me. I need you to tell them this good news. And you can just picture the different men that Paul is talking to. And they all have what? Selfish and lame excuses. No, Paul, I cannot go. That's way too long of a trip. Remember, there were no airplanes, there were no cars. And many times you'd get in shipwreck. Thieves around the roads would take weeks, months to travel to Philippi. So they all say, no, thank you. No, thank you. So Paul says, for they all seek their own interests. They serve as long as it's comfortable, pleasant, and risk-free. Right? So many people in churches today, they want to be Christians and they want to be in the church as long as it's comfortable, as long as it's risk-free. As soon as there is any danger, how about my family? 
about me, my status. I need to preserve me. And you see, there can, be, there can be faithful preachers of the gospel who do not share the mindset of Christ. And Paul said that earlier. Not Timothy. Timothy is a replica of Christ. Frank Thielman says, like Paul, who was more concerned for the advancement of the gospel than that he was in prison, or that other Christians were making his hardship more difficult, and like Christ, who put who put obedience ahead of exploiting the privileges available to him as God, Timothy subordinated his own interest to the things of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Since when you first hear about Timothy, you see this desire to put away self-interest and actually seek the interest of others. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Keep one finger in Philippians 2. And let's go to Acts chapter 16. Remember, that's the chapter where we have the foundation of the church in Philippi. But before that, we have some very important information about Timothy. Chapter 16 of Acts. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. The first thing Paul tells Timothy is, I want you with me. I want to bring you with me into my mission trip. I want to bring with me to evangelize people. But Timothy, the first thing you need to do is to be circumcised. That was not a, a risk-free procedure in those days. And you see what Timothy does? He does not say, Paul, are you out of your mind? You were the one who said the circumcision is nothing. I already have circumcision of my heart, Paul. I don't need to be circumcised in the flesh. Do you see Timothy doing that? Yes, Paul. If through that we can evangelize and bring people to Christ, whatever the pain, whatever the cost. So many people I have talked to, interviewing for leadership, interviewing for membership, interviewing for mission trip. Do I have to stop drinking if I join this? Do I have to stop drinking my glass of wine, my beer that I like so much? Do I have to stop doing this or that? It's always my interest, what I like. Never. Whatever cost, brother. If Christ will be exalted, I have no freedom but that that Christ gives me. He is my Lord. And that shows the, the power of sin. Sometimes we, we, we take sin, sin so lightly. And here we behold the power of sin. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. This is very enlightening. Have you ever heard people saying, We need to go back to the early church. I have heard people saying, we need to go back to the early church. We need to be just like the early church. And I often ask, which church? Corinth. Going to be just like Corinth? In Galatia? 
the Colossians? No. We need to go back to the Bible. We need to go back to the New Testament, to the commands of Christ. That's where we need to go. But here we see for those people who have this romantic idea of the early church as if everyone, everyone was eager and willing to sacrifice all for Christ. We see here, no, 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 no. People around the mighty Apostle Paul. People who surrounded Paul. Yet, strangled by selfishness. Unwilling to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I don't know, brothers and sisters, but I, I, I hope when you read this verse, verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I hope you're going to see, I hope you can see how ugly selfishness is. Selfish is heinous. Can you imagine that there were men that could have their names written in the New Testament? And they refused because of selfishness. Thinking just about themselves. As I said in the last sermon, sometimes our lives are never marked by huge blemish, sexual immorality, being arrested for some heinous sin. But sadly, our lives are never marked by sacrifice. And that's what these people here were marked by. Lack of sacrifice. People who claim to receive the selfless love of Christ. Imagine that. You, you claim to receive. You claim to be a Christian. You claim that you got the selfless love of Christ. And then in your life, it's all about loving yourself. Never willing to rearrange your schedule because of a church event or something in the church, never willing to rearrange your plans in order to help a brother or a sister in the church, always looking to your own interest. It's a contradiction, right? To say that you got the selfless love of Christ and then you live just for yourself. That's a ugly contradiction. Oh, we need to pray, brothers and sisters. We need to pray against Self-centeredness. And they're older and younger people. Older and younger. We, they're always temptation to be selfish. I can see especially with older people as they're getting older. It's so easy to start just being self-centered. Just think about yourself, your pains, what you are going through. The loss of a, a spouse. And then it's all about you and me. We must fight against selfishness. Always be asking the Lord, Empower me to seek the interests of others. How we need more men and women like Timothy. Men and women who are authentically concerned with others. And lastly, here's the last observation. So much for a text that has no doctrine, according to some. Look at verses 20 and 21. And here's one of the most profound theological truths in the New Testament. So neglected in our American culture. For I have none like him who will be authentically concerned for your welfare. And now look at the contrast. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The parallel is clear. To seek the interests of others in the church is the same as what? The interests of Jesus Christ. To seek the interests of others in the local church 
is the same as seeking the interest of Jesus Christ. And you can do the opposite. To not seek the interest of the well-being of the church is the same as not seeking after the interest of Jesus Christ. Christ is joined to His church in a vital relationship. And Paul learned that with a very painful lesson. Do you remember? In Acts chapter 9, And Saul was still breathing threats against the church, just like a wild beast. And he goes and he gets letters to go to Damascus and do what? Persecute the Lord Jesus? No, it says persecute the church. And then on the way there, who shows up? The Lord Jesus. And what does the Lord Jesus ask Paul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, what, the church? Why are you persecuting me? Wait a second, I thought that Saul was persecuting the church. The church is his body. Sadly, we hear people frequently saying, I have this love for the gospel. I have this love for Jesus. And yet, this person is indifferent to the local church. I want to serve Jesus. Well, what church do you go to? I don't need a church. Huh. You know that Jesus died for the church, right? You know that His people are called the church. And His universal church is manifested through local churches. I have known people who call themselves missionaries, being supported in the mission field by local churches, and yet they had no love, no attachment, and no concern for the local church. It's an absurd. It's ridiculous. If you love Christ, you will strive to be where the people of Christ are. If you love Christ, you've got to be with Christ's people. That's where He manifests Himself. How did we give you water? When did you give you water, Lord? Oh, when you gave to the least of my disciples. You gave to me. You are embraced, you are cared by Christ through His church. Christ did not die for humanitarian organizations. Christ did not promise to build up any other institution, only His church. And one thing, I have a high appreciation for the members of this church is how you prioritize Christ by prioritizing being with the people of Christ. That's something that we elders admire. We praise the Lord. That's something I tell other pastors. When I tell tell them about the number of members we have in our church and the number of members who come to the Wednesday night prayer meeting, and they get amazed. Yeah. The members love Christ. Therefore, they love being with Christ's people. Stop seeking your own things and start seeking the things of Christ. There is no better life than the life invested in seeking the interest of Jesus Christ. And I finish here by reminding all of us and helping the and hoping that we all can see the power of the gospel. Because all these things here, you think about Paul, you think about Timothy, you think about Epaphroditus, there were men just like you and me. But there was one thing in their lives, and that was the gospel of Christ. Hoping the Lord, being made glad by news of other Christians, being concerned with the interests of others, that's, that's something that we cannot do on our own. 
Only the gospel can do that. And I was thinking about Paul, because Paul hated with all his guts Gentiles and Christians. He hated Gentiles and he hated Christians even more. And now you see Paul telling this church that's a Gentile Christian church, telling them that his heart is released from all anxieties and heaviness when he hears the news that they are serving Christ. That's the gospel. In a man, in a woman that transforms us. I was thinking about the words of Paul here. and We always want to be like Paul. But here, I stop and I say, Lord, I'm so thankful that here I'm not like Paul. Because Paul says, I have none but Timothy. When I look around, all the other men around me now, where I am, of course there are other faithful men, Luke, and other, but they were not there at that moment. And he says, at this moment, when I look around, I just see men seeking after their own interest. And I was thinking about my co-elders, the deacons, men who do not get paid a penny, a dollar. They give themselves for the well-being of this church. I got the church directory and I started looking at the names of each member and a vast number of Timothys, men and women, who truly hope in the Lord, who truly seek the interests of others above themselves. And I'm humbled. I said, Lord, that's beautiful. That's your gospel. That's the power of your gospel. But we know, as Paul says, we have not reached there yet. So there is space, there is time, there is a lot to grow into more and more into, light, into Christ's likeness. Amen? So we as a church, that's my prayer, that we will grow more and more in becoming replicas of Jesus Christ. Replicating this hope in the Lord Jesus. Replicating what Timothy does here. Being made glad by news of other Christians. Faithful replicas of men and women who are authentically concerned for the welfare of others more than our own welfare. Faithful replicas of men and women who truly hate selfishness. And all this for the glory of Christ. We are going to sing next hymn. And it says, All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Any fruit that we harvest is actually a gift from your hand. We are only jars of clay that hold a priceless treasure. We exist to bring you pleasure, O God. Therefore, not to us, but to your name alone be all the glory. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would pierce us. pray that you would kill us. And we pray that your word would resurrect us. Bring life. Lord, for those here who do not know You, I pray that the Gospel and Your Holy Spirit would be transforming their hearts. Just like You transformed the heart of Paul, Timothy, mine, and so many others here. Hearts that were once very selfish, 
And now by your grace and by your mercy are being molded after the heart of Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us as a church to to be a church filled with replicas of Timothy and Paul, Epaphroditus, who ultimately are following the example of Jesus Christ. For your glory, pray. Amen. Amen.